In this session, Bobby Harrington and Renee Sproul set up the framework for understanding gender roles and what the Bible says about the differences between men and women. They start out by describing the spiritual formation and the foundation for these roles. In these sessions, they dive into the concepts of headship, primogeniture, biological differences, and social constructs relating to gender. So Renee is the Director of Cultural Engagement for Renew.org Network. She has invested a lot of time on this topic. I'll let her, as we go through this, tell you why it's been important to her. But she really has become a world-class subject expert on what uh, Scripture teaches about um, the roles of men and women in the home and in the church. And uh, that expertise has spent a lot of reading and research on her part, but also in-depth interviews with uh, Rick Oster, who's one of the world's leading experts in ancient Ephesus, and First Timothy, where there was, as we're going to see, there was a lot of conversations about what happened in ancient Ephesus as well as in First Corinthians. So I'm really pleased. She's she's super competent. She uh, uh, did extra training with the Colson Center. She's also been a homeschool mom and uh, helped with the School of Christian Thought for the North Boulevard Church in Murfreesboro. And uh, uh, there's probably other things that, anything else I'm, I'm, I'm missing that, that should be added? <laughs> no, that covers it. That covers it. Thank you for having me. Uh, she, and she's yeah. pretty awesome. And uh, she is the main writer of a book that just came out that's called Male and Female. And if you're here live at the back table where it says Next Steps, there are copies of this book, which is really an in-depth dive on all of these topics. And then R- Renee and I collaborated on another book that just came out like a couple of weeks ago called Five Conversations on Men and Women for Church Leaders. Uh, if you're watching this recording, these are available on Amazon.com, and uh, we feel really good about them. We just took uh, a group of over 200 senior ministers of 200 churches through this material a few weeks ago. And uh, we really feel good uh, about the materials. So thank you for that, Renee, and all the work you've done on uh, this topic. Uh, for the recording, I'm Bobby Harrington. I have the privilege of being the, uh, the uh, point leader of Renew.org Network uh, and also uh, of Harpeth Christian Church. I've spent a lot of time uh, on these issues Um, I came to faith as an adult, and it seemed crazy what the Bible taught about gender to me. And so uh, I really ended up uh, doing a lot of uh, study about it. And I've become very convinced that God's way is the best way. And although to our culture this sounds strange, what God teaches is really the best for human beings, for men and women. And so we look forward to jumping into this topic with you. So I'm going to lead us in a short prayer, and we'll dive in. Kind God, we just pray that uh, through Renee and I, and then uh, JP and Michelle, uh, with the questions that they will raise, that this will be an effective time for everyone. And I ask God that you would be the teacher in what we do. We pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We pray it for the glory of God and the betterment of humanity. So we want to start with foundations Uh, The Bible actually does give us a foundation for how we should think about this. 
And so it's biblical foundations and biological foundations. And Renee's going to walk us through the different viewpoints uh, that you're going to find in churches that uh, <clears throat> try to follow Scripture on, on this topic. Renee, do you want to go ahead and start us off? Yeah, thank you. So it's important to get just a few vocabulary words under your belt when we start this discussion because they're going to come up again and again. And the first one we want to talk about is complementarianism. Now, complementarianism is the view that men and women are created equal in being and in value um, in the image of God, but that we were made to, as the word says within it, complement one another in marriage, in family, in the church. So this is really seems self-evident. The more that you just start reading scripture and you see in the opening chapters of Genesis where um, Adam is created and then Eve is created, um, which we'll get into in a little bit, as a strong helper like his opposite or a strong helper opposite him. Something that's opposite something else is um, by nature complementing it because it's having attributes that the original did not have. So complementarianism is a strong view of the image of God in men and women, but we are made to complement each other in particular ways. Great. Want to add anything to that? No. Why don't you tell what uh, hard... There's two versions yeah. of complementarianism. Yeah. So hard complementarianism is how I um, grew up and how I was raised. That is a very narrow view of what complementarianism is. It, it really reduces um, what it means to be a man and a woman to um, narrow stereotypical roles. And um, it doesn't make much space for um, different types of women and different types of men. It's reduced to phrases like, men lead and women submit. In churches that practice hard complementarianism, um, you might see things like women never being allowed to pray in front of other men. Uh, women being only allowed to teach maybe the nursery and elementary uh, Sunday school classes. And um, if a young boy gets baptized, then that gets tricky because she's maybe not allowed to teach him. It just kind of starts working itself out in weird ways. They're basically taking passages like 1 Corinthians 11 or uh, 1 Corinthians 14, where uh, women are supposed to prophesy with their heads covered or not judge prophecies, which we'll get to later, and just saying, you know what, women can't speak at all, ever, 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 except that's not practical. And a woman can't teach a man, ever, ever, ever. So can I not tell my husband where the spatula is in the kitchen? You know, how do you draw those lines? That's hard complementarianism. Good. It's bad for men, and it's bad for women. We know it's bad for women, obviously, but it's bad for men, because they don't, they don't take advantage of the strong help that women were created to be for them. And then we have soft complementarianism, which is what we say we are at Renew and at Harpeth. Um, and that is a more healthy view of complementarianism. It, it, sh it shows that um, men and women have a variety of giftings, and they can be used in a variety of places, while a particular couple of roles are reserved for qualified men. We would say that would be the elder and the senior pastor role um, in our circles that we run in. So um, <laughs> when you're 
when you're complementarian, a lot of times people say, yeah, well, women can't be elders and women can't be senior pastors. And, and I like to say, actually, most men can't be either. It's only a particular type of man that the Bible describes as being able to be an authoritative teacher or a minister of the word or an elder. And so um, we don't like that. We don't like having any kind of um, parameters around what we're allowed to do because we live in America and we like to just say, hey, you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. And that's not what the Bible says. That's right. Um, Also... Uh, with the soft complementarianism, as we talked about here this morning, uh, there is a unique headship role for the husband in the husband and wife relationship that we'll come back to. Absolutely. Well. I love the word head, and we need to get used to it. Say it out loud to yourselves right now. Head. Men are the head of women. Christ is the head of the church. Because that's the word the Bible uses, and we need to get get used to it and dig in and understand it. That's it's a actually good word. an area where you... Uh, Renee won me over to it. We used to say male servant leadership, but the truth is in the Bible, there are areas where women lead. And when you say leadership, you, you make it sound like there's, women can't lead. And so the idea of headship uh, is much more than just leadership. It has an authority. And as Renee said, it's more of a biblical word. Okay, talk to us about egalitarianism so, or yeah. mutualism. All right, that's the world we live in. So the United States of America is an egalitarian culture. Some people in churchy circles are now using the word mutualist to try to be sneaky and not um, use that word egalitarian. But egalitarians, like soft complementarians, believe that men and women are made in the image of God, that we have equal value, but that we're interchangeable. So the only bar in egalitarianism for where you move in and serve or what you do is just your gifting. Are you good at leading? You lead. Are you good at praying? You pray. And so they have a real hard time describing, like, what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? Because there's nothing particular except bearing children that they can say is distinct to a woman or a man. And so it's real appealing because in our world, for our safety, Men and women are interchangeable in a lot of roles um, in the workplace and out in the world in unredeemed humanity who's not filled with the Spirit of God. But if this is a picture of reality, then we need to read it and understand it, which you all can do, and live out reality as God reveals it to us. And he doesn't say that we're interchangeable. He says that men were created first and that women were created to be strong help opposite men. And then we get tons of pictures in the Bible of what that looks like. There, there are no stereotypes in scripture. There is this beautiful array of what it can mean to be a man or a woman. That's good. So we uh, want to go back and we want to ask ourselves, well, if we're going to have a conversation about all this, where do you begin? And it's a super important question because the New Testament actually tells us where to begin. So a lot of people today, especially if you've been discipled to think the way the world thinks, uh, you're going to want to start with the concept of, well, we have equal gifts. Men and women have equal gifts. And so there'll be this attempt to go to passages like Galatians chapter 3 that talk about in Christ, we're neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and somehow use that as the basis for the whole conversation. 
Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, that passage in Galatians chapter 3 is not talking about uh, gender roles. It's not talking about church leadership. It's just talking about the status of our salvation in Christ. But the bigger problem is the New Testament actually tells us where to start. And we're going to look at these New Testament passages, but first we're going to go to where they tell us to start, and that is with the creation account. So let's, uh, we're going to start there. And uh, I just want to start with the passage uh, from Genesis chapter 1 that describes a gender binary. In other words, uh, this is a passage when God is communicating through Moses that tells us there's only two categories of people. There's male and there's female. Here's how it describes it. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may, may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So this is God's uh, description of the place of human beings in his created order. And then it says this, So God created mankind uh, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in the beginning, God created the difference between men and women, that for ancient people is just going to be reflected in the sheer biology of the fact that men and women are physiologically very different. This week, uh, Shadonke Johnson stayed at our house, and and, uh, he was telling me in Africa, talking about some of the conversations about what constitutes a man or what constitutes a woman. He said in Africa, they think those Americans are just crazy, that they can't (laughs) see the differences (laughs) <laughs> and I think that there's some, some merit to that. Okay, so um, now in Genesis chapter 2, the New Testament is going to tell us to go back to the creation account. We're going to see this, that Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, to our North American eyes or ears, the fact that one person is uh, maybe born first or created first is not a big deal. But that's not true in the ancient world. It was super uh, significant, and we'll explain why, uh, when you look at the first one created, which is Adam. And then when God creates the woman, she's creating the woman to complement the man. So it says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he had created Adam And then uh, it's not good for him to be alone. There needs to be a suitable helper. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, and it goes on and describes that. And it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man is going to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So we see that God's intention is that he created Adam, who represents men, and he creates Eve, which is the mother of all living. And Adam and Eve are the prototypes or the archetypes for men and women. And it becomes really important to understand 
that in creating Adam first and in creating Eve as a suitable helper for him, Renee's going to talk to us about what it means by helper, God is telling us of a created order that he intends. Now listen to this. This is God's intended created order before the fall into sin, before the corruption of relationships between men and women, before the corruption of the created order. So back in paradise, God's created order was that there is a leadership role for the man and a supporting role for the women uh, in that relationship. Uh, so the concept, I'm just going to talk a little bit about this and then Renee's going to take it from here. The concept is called primogeniture. And what that means is that, uh, as it says here, God creates Adam first. It's the concept called primogeniture. And he moves him into the garden, gives him a command to work the garden and take care of it. He gives him authority to name and care for the animals and then introduces him to his wife, whom he names a woman, which in, in the Hebrew background, this is all significant about his role. Although it is easy to paint men into narrow stereotypes of masculinity, we see authority, strength, gentleness, and even poetry all wrapped up in this vision of what it means to be a man. So then God creates the man first, and then he creates the woman second uh, because he was incomplete. And Renee, do you want to talk just about the meaning of a helper suitable for him? Yeah, I love this uh, phrasing, and when you start to really go digging in Scripture, it's cool what you find out. So um, the literally, it's a helper like his opposite, um, or a helper, um, like as they say, a suitable helper. So the Hebrew word translated helper is actually, it's used twice for the woman, but we find it several more times, like I've got my notes here, um, 16 times in reference to God as our help or God as Israel's help, three times in reference to nations that Israel looked to for help instead of to God for help. So most of the time in Scripture, helper is used to describe God as the, as the one who rescues Israel, as the one who, in whom we can place our hope, as the one who is our deliverer. Um, so is that what comes to your mind when you read that verse and you hear women are supposed to be a helper suitable for him? That's not really what came to my mind. I didn't really like what I was reading, and I kind of just held my nose and went on. And let me just encourage you not to do that. Don't waste a bunch of years doing that. Um, I, I have no theology degrees. I'm just an average person. I'm an average wife and mom, homeschool mom. And I just started opening my Bible, and I started looking these words up and trying to see what God meant when he put this in here. And it's good news. It's really good news for us. So a woman as a strong help complementary to man can look a lot of different ways. And I would encourage you in the books that we've um, offered tonight, there is what we call a ton of circumstantial evidence throughout Scripture about what it means for a woman to be strong help. You see it in almost I think every single book of the Bible, we get glimpses of what it looks like for a woman to be strong help. Um, and just to drive home the point that we're not interchangeable, that we are complementary to one another. If you think of um, wings on an airplane, you have a right wing and a left wing. 
They both are required to fly the plane, but you cannot take the right wing of the airplane and, and attach it to the left side and take the left wing and attach it to the right side and have the airplane fly. It will not fly. They're, they're complementary. They're equal in value, and they each have a purpose to help the plane fly, but they're not interchangeable. And so when we say men are head, which, again, the Bible interprets itself. The New Testament writers are going to send us back to these scriptures again and again and go, hey, when I put restrictions on something or when I'm correcting a problem and I point back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I'm not just talking about culture here. I'm talking about gravity. Don't go walking off a cliff and pretend like gravity doesn't exist. So strong help is good news. It's good news for men who have women available to them with all kinds of strengths they don't have. And it's good news for women who have men in their life who can be ahead, who can... Ooh, I want to flesh that concept out. We're do not, it. We're not, are we going to do it? Can I do it? Well, it's do so a little good. Key. It's do so it. good. Oh, go ahead. Okay, do so it. like Jesus, Jesus is the head cornerstone, right? Jesus is the head of the church. So that's your model, guys. And the head cornerstone, it, it, it like sits at the corner of the building and all the other stones are laid in relationship to it so that they, it bears the weight so that they can all do what they were made to do. So headship's not stifling. It's not having some, somebody's thumb on you saying, you can't do this and you can't do that. It's laying down your life. It's making space it's creating boundaries for people to actually excel and, and be the best version of themselves. Headship and its best version, Christ-like headship, is the most liberating, the most empowering, the most freeing, the most strengthening thing that women and men, other men who are under authority, like elders, can experience. It's great news, but the world would say, that's terrible news. Anybody can be anything. Not true. You know that. It's not true. So let's uh, move from there and talk about how the concept of primogeniture uh, is going to reflect itself in the biology of men and women. So, uh, by the way, uh, one of the ways to think of the concept of primogeniture is, uh, let me ask you about Harry and William. So over the last little while, especially uh, with uh, Meghan and Harry, We've heard a lot about the royal family and how Harry is not going to be the king, but William is going to be the king. Now, why is William going to be the king? William is going to be the king because he's the firstborn. And it reflects the ancient concept still there in the whole British monarchy system that goes back to the Bible where the firstborn son uh, is, is the one who has the responsibility for the family. Now, uh, so in the New Testament, when it draws us back to Jesus, uh, Jesus is going to say that Adam was the first created, he is the firstborn, he's the heir, and he represents men, and the concept of primogenitor is going to be based on God's created order. Now, it's not just that the Bible says it, but there's actually, contrary to what our world wants us to believe. There are biological differences between men and women that affect the way that we think, the way that we relate, the way we interact. And Renee's going to talk to us about that. Yeah, so to fly through biology in like two minutes or less, really um, from 
in the, in the very earliest stages of a fetus's development, hormone concentrations drastically change the way our bodies develop, our, our brains develop. So testosterone concentrations um, will change the way that a, a girl's brain develops versus a boy's brain. And um, when you'd have insufficient testosterone um, in the development of a, of a boy, you will see more feminine characteristics in them. That just shows you that um, our hormones are linked to our behavior. There's a link there. Now, the biggest way you can see the difference is in the reproductive system. We have all these body systems, and they're all um, similar to one another, except we only have half of a reproductive system. A woman has one half, and a man has the other half. And by nature, a homosexual union is sterile. And that flies in the face of the Genesis 1 mandate to um, increase and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, you cannot do that with sterile unions. And so that, that is God's hint in nature. You need a man and a woman to fulfill part of this creation mandate. Super cool fact that I learned recently. One of my uh, young moms that is in my discipleship group is a doula. And she's like, did you know that the husband contributes the, um, to how the placenta is formed in the woman's womb? So the thing that feeds and cares for the baby is actually um, linked to the health of the father who helped create that child. So you see the woman carrying the child within her. Our bodies are literal homes. And then you see um, God making men provide in particular ways um, for that child, even though they have very little to do except from the sexual act with carrying that baby and that baby's development. I just think it's beautiful. It points again and again. There's complementary um, hints all throughout our bodies. Our right eye and our left eye, two images. Our right ear and our left ear. It's, it's woven all throughout creation. God just gives us hint after hint after hint about what he's up to here. No, that's good. So uh, one of the things we don't have time to get into, uh, but I'm going to just mention it to you, and uh, we have more information in, in the big book that we're talking about here, is that... Um, a lot of people are trying to argue today that the differences between men and women are just social constructs. It's all about environment, that we are uh, raised by our environment to be men and women, and if we just change uh, what we do in our environments, that men and women will be different. The difficulty with that is it flies in the face of a lot of evidence, including evidence that was recently published in the journal Science, which is a highly respected journal, where they just document the differences biologically and uh, psychologically and in, even in terms of our brain functions because of how we are as men and women. And when you summarize all that research, which I've had the opportunity to do, as has Renee, it actually fits the complementarity that you find uh, in, in the teaching of Scripture. And as God created Adam, and then he created Eve, as he created men, and he created women. We're going yeah, to let more, Renee add one thing. And one if anybody thing. has any questions, by the way, yeah. before Renee adds something, raise up the card so that JP and Michelle can get it. JP and Michelle also will have some questions. Not Renee? just the science, but culturally, cultures that are the most egalitarian. So cultures that allow men and women the most access to education equally. Um, cultures that allow men and women access to the most careers um, equally, they experience the greater sex differences. Let me say that again. 
in countries where you have the most ability to do whatever you want to do and be whatever you want to be, women choose more female careers and men choose more male careers at a higher rate than more restrictive cultures. So in other words, when we're free to be what we want to be, we're more female and we're more male. And the outliers have the ability to go and do, the women can go be the engineer. They want to go be the engineer. So it's really interesting to see um, how that plays out in cultures like Sweden that really want to erase gender altogether. All gender differences. So JP and Michelle, JP, I'm going to turn to you to begin with. Uh, Are there any questions that that you'd Uh, like to ask? I'm looking. Wow, this is getting (laughs) on. Hello. Anyone? Actually, I have one that Go ahead, Michelle. Morning, that happened this morning. So um, I was talking to a young 19-year-old college student, and she said, this doesn't feel right. She said, I, why would God create me a woman if I'm supposed to be such a, in such a lowly position? And she was in tears. Yeah. I mean, in tears. And so the question, one of the, one of the questions that, that kind of came to my mind was, well, what I, part of what I told her was, there are other things in the Bible that I don't like the way it makes me feel. Like, I think you, you, know, you alluded to when you first read some of the scriptures, going, I don't really like this. Um, and so, you know, part of the, 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 obviously, you know, her spiritual maturity is, is getting there, you know. And so, so we're talking to her particularly about her identity and, and things like that so she can get really grounded before she tries to tackle this. And one of the things I told her, too, was, you know what, you don't have to figure this out yet. Like, it's okay to just go, you know what, I'm going to get to this. I'm not quite there yet. But one of the things I wanted to ask you guys was how, when it's, we have such a feeling-based culture, do we actually have these conversations? Renee? Well, if I were talking to a young woman um, about that, I would, I, immediately I'm thinking she doesn't know who she is in Christ. Exactly. She yeah. doesn't understand um, her beauty as an image bearer of God. Um, all she's hearing is um, a few passages that say, like, women be silent yeah. or um, wives respect and submit your, to your husbands. Um, so she likely has a wrong view of what submission is. Mm-hmm. She probably has a really bad view of authority, which most young people, most people under 40, have a terrible um, taste for authority. They're real allergic to it. So we need to recapture what um, reality is in terms of authority and... Um, and yeah, that it, it's not a lowly position. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, having been in a hard complementarian environment and the schools I went to and the church I attended, I actually had this like other world I lived in. My dad and my husband were these amazing heads that where I was made to feel so worthy and so strong and so um, able to move into my giftings that um, it never felt oppressive or yuck to me. And so I, I feel for women who have not experienced that. I know that's, that's more rare than we'd like to see. So I would like to see her discipled, good job, Michelle, into her <laughs> identity in Christ. There. Yeah, into yeah. her identity in Christ. Yeah. Because it's just a wrong view of what Scripture is saying about women. Yeah. Well, what I like about that, Renee, too, is that, that we don't, they don't need to figure it all out yet. No. When they no, no. haven't actually figured out some of the 
foundational. The best, the best um, teacher really is obedience. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we think a lot of times we got to get our brains all lined up and understand exactly every, all the reasons why, like a two-year-old, tell me why, tell me why. I'm not doing it till you tell me why. And Jesus is like, actually, if you just um, enter my kingdom as little children and obey my teachings, you'll come around and you'll see. It's like reading a book about swimming or jumping in the pool. I'd, I'd have her jump in the pool. <laughs> okay, JP, uh, you've got a question, then we're going to transition after that. I do. Has the fact that many men have not laid their lives down for their wives been a catalyst for the rejection of headship? Uh, does the church need to own anything in that? How should the church well, respond? I want you to answer this as well. I think... <clears throat> I, 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 I do think that the church bears responsibility uh, in part. You know, um, I don't know if any of you watched, as Cindy and I did yesterday, uh, the new uh, series on Amazon called uh, Shiny Happy People. And uh, it's the story of the Duggar family and of Bill Gothard and uh, the whole uh, uh, system that they followed, which was this authoritarian... Uh, imposing sort of this, what Jesus called a pagan style of leadership where you force people to do what you command them to do, and it caused a lot of damage. And as we talked about this morning, Jesus makes it very clear that that is not leadership that follows his teaching. But the truth of the matter is a lot of ungodly people will use authoritarianism and they cause a lot of damage and that's really regrettable. And because of that damage now, we have a culture that is rejecting God's better way, which is the way of a head who lays his life, or in the case of a church, the, the, the elders who lay their lives down for the people in the church. So a lot of people will now want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, I would say I agree. Um, My heart really hurts for the women who have um, experienced oppressive men in their lives, um, selfish men, men who were self-seeking and and did not uh, live the way Ephesians 5, you know, commands them to live, or elderships who, yeah, who lorded it over them. And so... Yes, that is sinful. Yes, perhaps there is um, a place for repentance um, if, you're, if a particular church did that. But I am not released from obeying what I found in Scripture.